chapter 5. First John chapter 5. We're going to continue the series we've been talking about on Sunday mornings called Passion or Pressure. Passion or Pressure. Now, you, you can uh, go online uh, to our website, but also you can get on to iTunes and find the podcast. And uh, we preached two messages so far about passion or pressure. Now, it would be good to listen to those because my message makes sense in context of the first two messages also. But we'll do a little recap today. Uh, But we talked about passion or pressure the first week and we continued it last week. And we talked about a new heart and a new spirit. And um, today we're going to be talking about under law or under love. Under law or under love. So 1 John 5, and we're going to start in verse 2. Now, today I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. I always don't read from the New Living Translation, but um, we're going to read from that uh, particular translation because it sounds it's a little bit easier to understand. So 1 John 5 and verse 2, it says, We know that we love God's children if we love God and we obey His commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Notice that loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So like I said, today we're going to be preaching about under law or under love. Under law or under love. So today as we get started, uh, let me do a quick little recap of what we've been talking about. We'll be talking about passion or pressure, meaning what is your motivation to do what you do for God? What is your motivation when you come to church? What is your motivation for praying? What is your motivation for being a Christian? What is your motivation for doing what you do? Is it passion or is it pressure? And the reason we're preaching about this is because most church people struggle with this and they don't want to admit it. Because they're doing what they have to do because it's the right thing to do, but they don't really want to do it. And that's not what God died for. That's not what Jesus went to the cross for. Jesus didn't go through the cross and all that pain and all that suffering so he could have a church who has to come to church. So he would have a church who has to pray, who has to serve in ministry of helps if I have to. Who has to love people if I got to. Who has to do all these things for God. No, God died so he could give us a want to instead of a have to. He died so he could take out that pressure and give us a passion and a desire to fulfill the will of God for our lives. Now, I realize there's a lot of bad examples in the world and in the body of Christ. So a lot of people think that there's no way you you could live there, but you can. It is possible. It is a real place to live that God can take out that old heart that you had and give you a new heart with new desires and a new spirit that you want to do what you've been called to do, not you have to do what you've been called to do. Are you here this morning so far? And God wants to give us a passion instead of pressure. Passion instead of pressure. And today we're going to be talking about under law or under love. Now, this is one of the main things that we talked about in the past couple weeks, and we'll mention it again, is that most people don't understand their Bible, and they've been mistaught by a lot of different people, and that's why they have a misunderstanding of the commandments or the requirements of God in the Bible. We're going to talk about that for a minute. Because a lot of people, when they come to church, all they hear is, this is more things that I need to do to make myself right with God. But that's not true because Jesus is the only one who can make you right with God, and he did. He did make you right with God. All you have to do is not achieve that, but you need to receive that. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Notice, it would be bad news if you had to achieve it, because you can't. But the gospel is called the good news because you don't have to achieve it. All you do is receive it. Are you here this morning? And so we see that a lot of people have been mistaught in churches and they don't know how to read their Bible right. And that's not their fault. It's just because people have trained them wrong and they don't understand, well, how does this all fit together? It does all fit together, but it needs some explanation. And so that's what we're going to talk about for a moment because we're going to talk about the law of God 
And the difference between being under a law or being under the love of God, it's a big difference. And the thing is that most people are destroyed, like the Bible says, for a lack of knowledge. That means they don't know what they believe or why they believe it. So guess what? The enemy takes advantage of that and destroys somebody's life because of a lack of knowledge of the Bible and God's word. And so here's a couple things that we want to talk about at the beginning of this. The thing is that we need to read the Bible in light of our redemption. Well, let me say some more things. We need to read the Bible, not just in light of our redemption, but you need to read the Bible to the cross and through the cross. Because a lot of people just stop at different passages and no wonder it doesn't make sense and no wonder you don't understand the Bible because you're just reading one portion of the whole entire scripture. One portion of the whole entire story. And so we need to read the Bible to the cross, but you need to go through the cross. Because some things in the Old Testament don't matter to us anymore because we're in a new covenant. And Jesus has fulfilled that, so it really doesn't pertain to us anymore, to our everyday life. Now, you can learn something from it, but the point is it doesn't make it through the cross when you read your Bible. You guys still follow me? And so when we read the Bible to properly interpret Scripture, you need to go to the cross, but you need to go through the cross. Because there's certain things that don't pertain to you anymore in the Old Testament. There's certain things that are not a part of your life in the Old Testament. Thank God. Because let's just take one thing for instance. In the Old Testament, it says, if you want your sins forgiven every week, which all of us have sinned this past week, I'll go ahead and just say that over your life, because it's probably true. So since we've all sinned at least one time this past week, we all need to bring some sheep and some turtle doves to the altar this morning and slaughter them before pre-service. You guys up for that? Does that sound fun? Is that what you want? Blood on the altar, slaughtering animals right in front of the praise team. Wouldn't that be fun? It would be entertaining. Be gross. But notice, that's just one thing. And if you don't read your Bible right, you could still think, well, I still need to do that every week. But that's one of those things. It goes to the cross, but it doesn't go through the cross. It doesn't pertain to you anymore. Why? Because Jesus already sacrificed, and he was the perfect sacrifice. So you don't need to downgrade yourself to bring an animal in the house of God because Jesus already paid that sacrifice for you, and it's once and for all. It's just one example. So when you read passages in the Old Testament, you don't have to do that. But you know what? You can learn something from it because you can learn this is the way it used to be in the Old Covenant before Jesus came and paid the price. And so those scriptures are beautiful now when they used to disgust you because you realize in context, this was a type and shadow of Jesus to come being our sacrifice for us. Now, you guys didn't realize you were going to Bible college this morning, but you need to. Because a lot of people misunderstand the Bible. That's why they have a misunderstanding in their relationship with God. And a lot of preachers reinforce that because they don't know it themselves. And so you got to read your Bible to the cross and you have to go through the cross. You need to realize the Bible is a story from Genesis to Revelation. It would be the same way as if we went to a movie today and we left at minute 22 and tried to go tell everybody what the movie was about. You don't really know what the movie's about because you left at minute 22. You didn't finish it. So you don't have a right to tell other people what the movie's about. But that's what a lot of people do pertaining to the Bible. They walk out in Leviticus. Okay, the movie's not over yet. Don't stay in Leviticus and try to make assumptions about God that aren't even true because why you left at minute 22 in the movie. And it's a story from start to finish. So that's the thing. When you read your Bible, don't just stop in one passage and and make an assumption about God that's not true. Read the whole thing and then make a decision. That's the thing. So many people read stuff in the Old Testament that sounds a little different, sounds a little weird. It is if you just stop right there. But that's why you got to read the whole thing. you got to watch the whole movie. you got to see the whole story. you got to see the bigger picture because when you do, it all makes sense. But notice if you just walked out in Leviticus or Deuteronomy, you wouldn't know what's going on. 
and make assumptions about God that isn't true. You guys follow me so far this morning. So God gave us laws or commandments for a reason, for a purpose. And I'm going to share a couple of those with you. The first purpose is this, is because he loves us. God gave us laws and commandments in the Old Testament and the New Testament, not because he's trying to restrict us, but because he loves us. A lot of people don't see it that way. And we, talk, we mentioned that last week. A lot of people say, well, God, you're trying to restrict me. You're trying to take away my fun. You're trying to destroy my life because I want to do what everybody else is doing, but I can't because you told me I can't do it. But God is a loving father, and he knows better than you and I know. So he's going to tell you, you need to stay away from this, and you need to stay away from this. Not because he's trying to restrict your fun. He's actually trying to bring you into more freedom if you just listen to what he has to say. And since God knows everything about everything, and you don't, I need a better amen than that. And you don't. Every last one of you. Let me point my little finger at every last one of you. And you don't, including myself. You don't know everything about everything, but God does know everything about everything. And if God says don't do it, it's for a reason and for a purpose because he loves you. Because he loves you. Are you here this morning? So God gave us laws and commandments because he loves us. Not because he's out to get us, because he loves us. In the same way, if there was a bridge out and there was all these signs that said, don't enter, dangerous. And there was a guy in front of this area and was waving you down and was trying to stop you from going. And was trying to make sure your car didn't go over the bridge. You wouldn't say... Man, you're trying to restrict me. Why are you trying to ruin my fun? I want to go across the bridge. And the guy's saying, I know you want to go across the bridge, but the bridge is out. And if you go across the bridge or try to, you're not going to make it. You're going to drown and your car's going to crash. You wouldn't get mad at that guy. You would actually say thank you. Why? Because he was telling you don't do this because he loves you. And he saw the end result of what's going to happen and says, hey, don't go there. I'm not trying to restrict you from driving. I'm just saying if you go down this one path, the road's out and it's going to end in destruction. That's the same thing that God does to us, but a lot of times we get mad at him. We're not thankful for it. (laughs) We're not like, God, thank you for sparing my life. We're, We're mad at him for it. I can't do this, but I really want to do it. But notice God does that. Why? Because he loves us. And he's looking out for us. And so when we see God's commandments or laws out of love, we live by passion and not pressure. See, if you don't see it that God's loving you, you'll see that as a pressure to do something you don't want to do. In reality, it's God loving you to keep you on the right path and to keep you in a safe place. You get something this morning. Another reason God gave the laws and commandments in the Bible is because he wanted us to bring us to the end of ourself to admit our need for him. Now let's look over at Romans 3. Romans 3. So God gave all these laws and commandments. Well, another reason he gave, and really this is the bigger reason why he gave them, is to bring us to the end of ourselves To say that, God, I can't live this way without you. I can't do this life without you. I can't fulfill the will of God without you. I can't be righteous. I can't be holy. I can't be right with heaven apart from you. So the laws and commandments of God bring us, they should bring us to the end of ourselves. So Romans 3, and we're going to read in verse 19 and 20. Now this is in the New Living Romans 3, 19 and 20, New Living Translation. It says, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world they are guilty before God. Now listen to verse 20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Notice that. The law simply shows us how sinful we really are. How many know if there's no standard, 
you don't know if you're breaking it or not. If there's no rules, how could you break them? You couldn't. And God gave the law to show you and I that we can't meet God's standard, that we can't live this life, that we can't do this without us, to bring us to the end of ourselves to say, God, I need you, and I can't do this. The sad thing is a lot of Christian people still try to do this apart from him. That's why they live so frustrated. That's why they live so full of pressure and not passion. And that's what was happening when God gave these laws in the first place. When he gave these laws, he said in his word, I'm going to give you these, but I'm giving you these because God's people were so prideful at that period of time. And they said, God, we can do it without you. We can live this life without you. We don't need you. We can do it in our own strength. And God said, you can't do it. And I'm going to give you these laws, not only because I love you, but to show you how sinful you really are. And how that you can't meet my standards. And you can't come up to my standards. And I'm going to give you these laws as a standard. And notice, he knew that we couldn't meet them. He knew we couldn't meet them. But it was to bring us, notice, to a place of humility to humble ourselves before God. He knew we couldn't meet him. That's why he sent Jesus. He knew that you couldn't do it and I couldn't do it. We couldn't meet God's standards. We couldn't be perfect. We couldn't meet the requirements and commands of God. But he wasn't asking us to do that in the first place. He was trying to show us our need for him. You guys hear me this morning? So God gave these thanks to bring us to the end of ourselves and to show us that we're all guilty before God. Every one of us. And it says in his word that we all have no excuse. How many know now that we know the standard, nobody has an excuse. You can't wiggle your way out of it when you know the standard. And that's why God gave it. So everybody could look at the standard and say, I don't don't make it. I'm missing it. And so we can get to the place of no excuse before God. We're all guilty before God and see how really sinful we are. Notice apart from him. But that's only part of the story. That's where the good news comes in because we aren't qualified to meet the standard. We aren't good enough to meet the standard. We'll never be perfect. We'll never be good enough in our own strength. That's why he sent Jesus because he knew we could never do it. To make us righteous, to make us holy, to make us pleasing to God. But notice he gave the law so we could realize our need for that. See, a lot of people don't see the law in the right way because they actually are trying to fulfill it to prove something to God when Jesus already proved it. I think as a lot of you in here would say, well, I don't live that way. I don't live by a law because I know that God loves me. And I'm not looking through the Old Testament, looking up laws and commandments, trying to live a certain way. But there's something that needs to be talked about here that is really kind of more what we deal with than the literal Ten Commandments or commandments and laws from the Bible. It's the spirit of the law. A lot of us don't live by necessarily commandments or laws, but we still live by that same religious spirit. And a lot of church people have reinforced the religious spirit that's not from God in the first place. People have preached messages that are not the spirit of God. They're the spirit of the law. And the more that that's preached, the more that you put condemnation, you put guilt, you put shame on yourself when God doesn't want you to live that way another day of your life. God has never designed us to live guilty, condemned, shameful people. He wants us to live in freedom, in righteousness, in hope, in faith, in confidence that we're right with heaven, not this place of condemnation, guilt, and shame. But notice, that's where a lot of us live. Why? Because we're still living by the spirit of the law. Now, let me tell you what that is. I wrote this down. The spirit of the law is this. It's trusting in your own efforts or performance to make yourself right with God. This is what the spirit of the law is. See if this fits today. It's you trusting in your own efforts or performance to make yourself right or pleasing with God. See, some of us don't go in the Old Testament and look up commandments and laws to keep. 
but we still live that way. We still live that way like we have to do better. We have to try harder. We're trying to make God happy with us. We're trying to please God. We're trying to be right with God when in reality, we're only right with God through Jesus. So that's the spirit of the law, the spirit of the law. Some of us in here have lived this way for a long time. That's why we live in this place of pressure and not passion. Trusting our own efforts or performance to make you right or pleasing with God. Now, let me give you a couple examples. Let's just use this. Now, why I'm talking, Chad Steele, can you turn on some more air? Because I'm getting hot up in this Presbyterian church up here. Thank you, Chad. Um, here's an example of this. Let's just take cussing. Okay, most of you cuss. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> let's just take cussing, for instance. You are now, after I said that. Okay, most of you would say cussing is wrong. It's not good for you. Now, this is what the spirit of the law does. Spirit of the law is like this. So, let's just say some of you are trying to quit cussing. Because you know it's not good for you. You know it's not appropriate. It's maybe not sin, but it's definitely not wise. Let's go there. Because there's not a specific scripture that says these cuss words are words you shouldn't say. But there are scriptures that say that you need to talk right and you need to talk uplifting so cuss words would not fit in that category. Can I get amen? Okay. So let's just take cussing for instance. The spirit of the law is this. This is what happens and this is why people don't overcome addiction. This is why people don't change. is because they live by the spirit of the law and they're trying to make themselves stop and change in their own strength so they'll be right with God. Okay. So let's just say you're a cusser. Let's just say Ms. Donna. We're going to throw out a name. Um, I just made up a name. I just made up a name. That was just off the top of my head. I, yeah, she goes somewhere else, not this church. This is just one I just made up. Now, Paul, don't say amen too loud over there. <clears throat> only when she's playing cards. That's the only time. So it's excusable then. It's all right when you're playing cards. It's just the good old Southern Indiana way. So, let's just take cussing, for instance. Let's just say you're trying to stop cussing in your own strength, in your own power. The spirit of the law is this, because you're going to get to 10 o'clock, and your boss is going to do something you don't like, and you're going to let out a beep. Your boss isn't going to hear it. Nobody else is going to hear it, but you said it out of your mouth. And notice what the spirit of the law does, because you've been trying to do it in your own strength. You feel condemned and guilty and full of shame the rest of the day because of what you said. Because now you feel like because you cussed, you're not right and pleasing with God. Which is not true. Because whether you cussed or you didn't cuss, you're right with God because of Jesus and not you anyways. Now that's not an excuse for cussing. Now let me finish what I'm saying. But the fact is, you're never going to change beating yourself up for doing the same thing over and over and over again. When you're full of guilt and shame, you're doomed to repeat that same sin over and over again. Notice, that's why people don't overcome things addiction-wise. Because they'll go back and do that same drug, and they feel so bad about it, they'll beat themselves up, and they'll do that same drug to punish themselves for the drug they just did. Because condemnation and guilt and shame will never bring life to you. It will never help you change. It will never help you move forward. It will never help you overcome the things that you need to stop doing. And notice the only way you can overcome that is by living by passion instead of pressure. Is living under God's love instead of God's law. So the only way we can overcome things is to realize whether I cuss or didn't cuss, I'm still right with God. And I'm pleasing to him instead of beating myself up the rest of the day for what I did. Now, when you do that, repent. And when you repent, God says he's faithful to forgive you. And you're just in the same place you were before you cussed. But notice when we have shame and condemnation, condemnation kills. And it's never going to help you change. It's never going to help you get over. Let's just take smoking. Now, smoking's not good for you. Smoking will kill you. There's a lot of people in this church that have smoked, have smoked, 
And they, they acted like that smoking actual cigarettes was one of the hardest things for them to ever give up. There's a lot of other drugs that they took that were easier to get rid of. But smoking cigarettes, let's just say that. If you beat yourself up every time you smoke a cigarette and you live in condemnation, you're doomed to keep repeating that same habit over and over and over again. And realize God's not condemning you. The enemy's condemning you. There's a difference. Now, God wants you to stop that. Why? Because it's, it's hurting you. It's physically hurting your body. He doesn't want anything in your life that's going to hurt you. But notice, we only change when we live under God's love instead of God's law. You guys hear what I'm saying today? But notice when we beat ourselves up, when we mess up or we don't change or we don't do things right, that's living under the spirit of the law. And notice we'll never get over it. We'll never change. We'll never really get freedom if we continue to live in the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is trusting our own efforts and performance. Notice to make yourself right and pleasing with God. So that means there's a lot of people, Christians especially, that live this way. If you feel like you did really good that day, you read your Bible, you prayed, you didn't do too much bad stuff that day, then you feel that day, you feel confident that you're right and you're pleasing with God. You're walking around, you're praying, you're acting like you're spiritual, but you're really not, but you're pumped. You're over here. Unless you say you're in the other category. When you mess up, when you do something you shouldn't, then the rest of the day you're beating yourself up because you don't really feel like God loves you, you're pleasing with God, you're righteous with God. Noticing that's the enemy because you are. And the reality of that and the revelation of that and the knowledge of that is what empowers you to change. Are you hearing me this morning? I feel like I'm preaching better than you're responding. I know you're thinking. The reality of knowing that God loves me and is for me and I'm pleasing to him and I'm righteous in his sight no matter what I do or don't do because of Jesus empowers me to change. Empowers me to change. Instead of living under this spirit of the law. And notice what the spirit of the law does. It makes Christians roller coaster people. When you feel like you did great, you're on the mountaintop. You're full of joy. You're pumped. But then when you feel like you did bad, you're depressed. And you're sad. You're beating yourself up. That's not the will of God for your life. And Christians turn into roller coaster people. Up. Down, up, down, up, down. Instead of living in what God has provided, which is passion, not pressure. Let's look over at first uh, or second Corinthians. You guys getting something this morning? Second Corinthians three. Second Corinthians three. Everybody good so far? It's not even 11 o'clock yet. Man, you guys got all sorts of time on your hands. 2 Corinthians 3. And we're going to start here in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 3 in verse 1. It says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring a letter of recommendation or ask you to write such letters on our behalf? Surely not. In verse 2 it says, The only letter of recommendation we need is yourselves. Your lives are a letter written out in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Verse 3, Clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the results of our ministry among you. Now listen to this because it has a lot to do with what we've been talking about today in the past couple weeks. He says, This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on, notice, tablets of stone. That's the law. But it is carved in our human hearts. That's love. And notice he goes on and says, We are confident of all this because our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification, notice, comes from God. 
and he has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. This is a covenant, listen to this, not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. He says the old covenant brought death, or the law, but this new covenant, the Spirit of God, brings life. It's a big difference. Because even though that we are saved, we're going to heaven, we've accepted Jesus into our heart, we can still live with an Old Testament, Old Covenant mindset. We can still live with a spirit of the law mindset, even though we're in this new and better covenant with God. Where we should be living under love and not a law. So what is he saying here? He's saying in verse 3, listen to what it says. Clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the results of our ministry. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of God. It's carved not on tablets of stone, but on our hearts. Now we mentioned this last week, but in the Old Testament, God prophesied there's a day that's going to come, and I'm going to take out your old, hard, stone heart, and I'm going to replace it with a new heart, And a new spirit. Now that's what he's saying right here. And he says, I'm going to go on. In the Old Testament, it said, I'm going to go on. And I'm not just going to write it on a stone. I'm going to write it in your hearts. Big difference. Because if it's just written on a stone. Or written on with pen and pencil. It's going to be a have to. But when I write it on your hearts. It's going to be a want to. Notice when I take you by the hand, that's external. But God says, I want to lead you by the heart, that's internal. That's a big difference. And God says in this new covenant, in this new way, I'm not writing it on tablets of stone. I'm writing my laws and my commandments in your heart. Meaning that now, nobody has to tell me what's right or wrong. I know because the teacher is in my heart. And I don't have to ask somebody whether I should do something or not. Why? Because the Spirit of God will tell me what's right or wrong. And not just tell me and give me a want to, but he'll give me the desire and the power to do his will. That's what the Spirit of God can do. And it says that I'm not going to write it on tablets of stone, meaning just like in the Old Testament, we know Moses with the Ten Commandments. He wrote it on stone, his commands. He said, I'm not writing it on tablets of stone, but I'm writing it on human hearts. Let's go down to verse 6. And it says, and he enables us to be ministers of the new covenant. This is the covenant not written with laws, but of the spirit. The old covenant, notice, ends in death. The law of God ends in death. So does having the attitude of the spirit of the law. But under the new covenant, notice the spirit of God gives life. The Spirit of God gives life. Now, I'm going to shoot some sacred cows. You ready for this? You guys know what that means? Shoot a sacred cow. First of all, I don't know how to shoot a gun. I don't have a gun, but I'm going to shoot a sacred cow right now, figuratively. You ready for this? We're going to use a bow and arrow. Let's go for that. So, we do have an election coming up. Uh, very soon. Now, we live in the Bible Belt. Let me remind you that we live in the good old Midwestern Bible Belt. God bless you. Family, faith, country, guns, John Wayne, John Deere. I mean, come on. It's pretty simple, people. I mean, faith, family, guns, and barbecue. I mean, that, that's, that's where we live. I'm sorry to make us sound so whatever, but that's the truth. We live in the Bible Belt. We live in the Midwest. That's who we are. With a heartbeat of America. (laughs) And I'm proud to be an American. Okay, so we're the heartbeat of America, all right? Just good old boys, good old country boys. Like like I said before, you don't really believe in God, but every good old country boy loves the Lord, okay? He'll be toting a beer, and he will punch you in the face if you say you're an atheist. Because he loves the Lord. It's in him. We live in the Midwest, the Bible Belt. You are automatically a Christian just because you live here. That's, that's just the way it is. Okay. So. <laughs> so many of you are so offended right now. I'm okay with that. 
it's true. You got to look in the mirror and face the reality. This is where we live. I love it, though. I don't want to live anywhere else. I'm, I'm glad I live here. Um, so we talked about God says, I'm not writing commandments on stone anymore or paper or a computer. I'm writing them in your heart, the commands on your heart. Why? Because when it's in your heart, then you want to do it and you've got the power to do it. Now, here's something. This is, could be controversial, but let's just take this for instance. People have argued for such a long time about keeping the Ten Commandments at the courthouse or in Washington or everywhere else, you know, wherever else they want to put it. The 4-H, you know, <laughs> they like the Ten Commandments everywhere. The, the thing about that is this, and I know people have the right hearts because they want to keep God in America and they want this to be a Christian nation, which you can't force anybody to be a Christian if you didn't know that. Um, But the thing about that is this, us keeping the Ten Commandments in a courthouse or a Washington monument or somewhere else is not going to make anybody change. You didn't want to hear that, but that's the truth. It's not going to make anybody change. So people fight over that. Keep the Ten Commandments at the courthouse. See, that's the way they talk too. Keep Ten Commandments at the courthouse. But honestly, let's be honest with each other. Putting the Ten Commandments, not just there, but anywhere, is not going to make anybody change. Why? Because if they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. Has the Ten Commandments at the courthouse ever stopped somebody from committing a crime? Never. Why? Because it's on stone. It's not in their heart. Are you with me? Now, I love this country, and I want this country to love God and be a Christian nation, but you need to face the facts here. Because the reality is this. You could tattoo the Ten Commandments on every person's head in America, and if they don't want to do it, they're still not going to do it. Why? Because you got to change their heart first. So this idea that we got to give people the commands, we got to give people the law, that's what they need. Is it? Because they can't do it apart from God. It's good to know the standard, but I'm saying when we argue about stuff like that, it goes nowhere. Because people are going to want to do what they want to do because if it's written on stone or paper, or in a document, people don't care. It only matters when God writes it in their heart because when it's written in their heart, they can change. And they want to do what God has called us to do. Are you hearing the heart of what I'm saying today? I believe in the Ten Commandments. Go for it. Have it at the courthouse. I'm just saying, having that is not changing people. It's not stopping people. All it's doing is frustrating people even more because they can't do it apart from God. (laughs) And that's what the law was meant to do, to bring you to the end of yourself. You guys hear in the heart of what I'm saying? But it goes the same for us. Like I said, if if you tattooed the Ten Commandments on your forehead, that still gives you no power and no ability to keep what's written there. You don't have it. If you posted the Ten Commandments in your bathroom, that still gives you no power and no ability to fulfill those commands. God has to write it on your heart and give you a want to and change your desires and give you a new spirit and a new heart. And notice when he does that, you don't need something written up. Why? Because you have him in your heart. You don't need a law book to look at. Why? Because you have the one who gave it in your heart. You don't need somebody to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Why? Because God's already speaking to you in your heart. And some people think that messages like this, that people are just going to live any way they want to. But actually, you're going to live a different level. Because he's not just something that's written on a stone, a law that was given. He's writing it, notice, in your heart. It's a big difference. God can write things in your heart, give you a new heart, give you a new spirit, give you a new passion. Notice that you don't have to rely on other people telling you what's right and wrong all the time. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's 
in you, which is God himself, and he'll lead you and guide you into all truth. Now, that's the way that God has always meant for you to live, right there. Let's read this last verse in verse 6. It says, he has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. This covenant is not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. Now, thinking about this, I want to kind of give you what happens in the Old Testament, what happens in the New Testament. Now, when the Feast of Pentecost was happening in the Old Testament with Moses, Moses went on to a mountain and received the Ten Commandments. Most of you have seen the movie, the old Ten Commandments, or you've seen Prince of Egypt. Good enough, either one. It'll work. He went up on a mountain, he came down, and he had the Ten Commandments. Now, when he came down from the mountain, the people were having a party, to say the least. Big party. He left Aaron in charge, and Aaron blew it big time. It was just like, hey, we don't have anything to do. Let's make a golden calf and worship it. I mean, weird things happen when people get bored. I don't know how they figure that out. It was like, hey, there's no TV. There's no Xbox. I don't have an iPhone. Golden calf. Let's all just put our gold together, and let's just make up something. Okay. And everybody was like, yeah, let's go for it. Weird. I know. So they were out in the wilderness, and they made a golden calf. They started worshiping him, having all sorts of weird parties going on. So Moses came down, and let's just say he was ticked just a little bit. He had the Ten Commandments. And when he brought the Ten Commandments down, it says that right during that period of time that the ground opened up and 3,000 people died right then. Because it was the judgment of God. Now hear me what I'm saying here. Moses brought the law of God down. And since the people were not perfect. And they weren't good enough. The judgment of God came upon them. Why? Because they were breaking God's law. And 3,000 people died that day. That's why it says this old covenant, the law, kills let me jump you forward here. New Covenant. Book of Acts. Now, we like this verse because we're Pentecostals around here. I mean, you couldn't tell by your response, but we are Pentecostals around here. Okay, thank you. It's the truth. Day of Pentecost. Thousands of years later. Thousands of years later, what happens? Not Moses comes down. The Spirit of God comes down. And when he comes down, he doesn't bring the law of God. He brings the love of God. And it's interesting because on the first day of the church, 3,000 people got saved. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Why? Because the law kills, but the spirit gives life. In the old covenant, notice Moses came down with the law and there was judgment. 3,000 people died. But in the new covenant, the spirit of God came down with the love of God and 3,000 people came alive. That's the good news. Because notice he didn't come down with the law of God. He came down with the love of God. So we see that, like this passage says, the old covenant ends in death, the law, but the new covenant, the spirit, gives life. The spirit gives life. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying this morning? So we have a choice. We can live under this law, which God doesn't want us to live by, or we can live under this love now that we're in the new covenant. And I tell you what's going to happen if we try to live this lifestyle of the law, the spirit of the law. Notice we'll always end in death. But notice when we live by love and through the Spirit of God, it brings life. Passion, pressure. 
pressure. No, this ultimately leads to death. Not physically, spiritually. Love, living by love, passion. Are you guys hearing me this morning, hearing the heart of this? So we see that God, he knew this ahead of time. See, this is what's amazing. If you don't read your Bible, you, don't, you miss stuff like this. This is great. God had this all planned out before we were ever here. So we see that when the law came, 3,000 died. But when the Spirit of God came, 3,000 came alive because of this love. Now, I have a few more thoughts that I want to share with you before we close here. That a lot of us live by the wrong motivation. We live by the law. We live by what a lot of people call legalism. Now, legalism means this, uh, just in case you didn't know the definition of it. Legalism is excessive adherence to a law rather than personal faith. The definition of legalism is excessive, notice excessive adherence to a law rather than a personal faith, rather than love. And a lot of people live there their whole Christian life. That's why they're grumpy. That's why they're tired. That's why they're worn out. That's why nobody wants to be around them. That's why they're not attractive to sinners. Sinners don't want to be around them. Sinners don't want to come to a church like that. Because they live in this place of legalism. But on the other hand, there's this place that God wants us to live called love. Called love. Now, as we close, I I really want you to listen. I know I've been preaching a little bit here, but really listen to the heart of this message. We don't live under a law. We live under love. And let me tell you how that works. That Jesus came and he said, forget all those other commandments. They're great. They had a purpose. But the two commandments you need to keep is to love God and love others. What is he saying? Live by love. Live by love. Because notice, if you live by love, you'll do all the rest of that. Because he's got your heart. But the thing is, we weren't able to do that until the Spirit of God came and made us new. It says in Romans 5, and you can write this down, Romans 5, it says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Spirit of God. So now we legitimately have the love of God in our hearts to do what God has called us to do. And now we have a different motivation to do what we've been called to do. And now we do it out of love instead of a law. We do it out of passion instead of pressure. And so it says in Corinthians, Paul says it like this, that the love of God compels me to do certain things. Not a law, the love of God. But he also says the love of God constrains me from doing other things. The love of God. And God wants us to live by this, the love of God. If you've accepted Jesus into your heart, the love of God's in there. The love of God wants to use you and to move into your life. And let me tell you something today. The love of God wants to change your desires, wants to change your heart, wants to change what you think is right and wrong, and not because you have to, because you want to. Why? Because you love God, but you also love others. Now, let me tell you some things for for instance. There's certain things now that I won't do, not because I'm under a law, because I love God, and I know if I do this, it will hurt him. Are you here? And that's based off of a relationship. And since I love God, the love of God in me will change my behavior. The love of God will change my desires. The love of God will change what I watch. Where you at? What I do, what I put in my mouth, what I look at with my eyes, what I listen to, where I go. How I talk, the way I live, the love of God. Not a law, but the love of God in me. 
because I realize if I do certain things, it's going to hurt God, but it's also going to hurt me. So the love of God compels me and constrains me to do certain things. Now, I'm going to take you one step further. You ready for this? This is for the mature people in the house of God. We got any mature people in the house of God? Yeah, don't raise your hands. Okay. (laughs) Who wants to be mature? Okay. Eventually, you have to go to this place, and it's another level of living. You go from stop thinking about what is sin to what is wise. Now, when you're a baby Christian, you're thinking, is this sin? Is this not sin? Where's the line? Okay, this is sin right here. Let me get as close as I can. Oh, oh, sorry. God, I'm sorry. I stepped over just a little bit. This is when you're a baby Christian. It's okay if you're like this right now. Where is the line, God? I know you said, don't get drunk. I know you said that. But you also said, a little wine is good for the stomach. Are you here? Am I, am I talking a little bit too close to home? Where's the line? Love of God, where is the line? So when you're a young, immature, baby believer, nothing wrong with that. We've all been there. That's the way you think. If it's good between me and God, just me, between me and him, it's good. Not thinking about anybody else, just me. And you're always asking the question, where's the line? But notice real love doesn't, doesn't ask that question. The love of God's not trying to see where the line is. He's trying to hang out over here, not anywhere close to the line. So you stop asking the question, what is sin? And you start asking, what is wise? Because there's some things that are, aren't sin, but they're just not wise. And they make you look bad. Are you here today? You ready to take it a step further? It's 1121. You got plenty of time to make it to lunch. Trust me. We usually get over at 12. We are making great time, and I'm about to close. So when you start getting a little bit more mature, notice what that love of God does. The love of God is not just, I love God. That's part of it. That's the main thing, is I love others. Hello, somebody. And there are some things that all of us in here could do between you and God, and it would be okay. But if somebody else saw you, it would hurt their faith. So you stop thinking about yourself and, oh, it's good between me and God. Me, God said I could do that. But what would other people think about that? And it would, would it hurt their faith? And so the love of God doesn't just say, I love God, so I'm going to live this way. It says, I love others. So if I'm going to do something that's going to hurt somebody else, I'm not going to do it, even if I could technically get away with it. Are you here this morning? The Apostle Paul said this. He said, there's things I could do. He said, all things are lawful for me. I could do it between me and God, but not everything is beneficial. When you start living there, you're starting to go from immaturity to maturity. You're starting to grow up in God when you start thinking, what will other people think? Will it affect other people's faith if I do this? Not just, it's good between me and God. Are you hearing the heart of this today? Because when the love of God is in your heart, you want to be pleasing to him and you want to do what's right in his eyes, but you also love others And the love of God, like Paul said, will compel you to do certain things and constrain you from doing other things because of the love of God. Let's just take this for instance. Let's just take if you guys saw me down at Great Escape, 16. Um, Now, I want to go see the movie Inferno. Can I get amen, Charlesi? Right there. You, You know about the movie Inferno? Tom Hanks? Okay, anybody? I haven't seen it yet, but it's like Angels and Demons, what's the other, Da Vinci Code, it's the third one. Okay, I want to see that, so I'm not talking about that movie. 
So don't judge me based off that movie. You're going with me, aren't you? Okay. Dad says he's going with me. Okay, so it's good. All right. Let's just take a movie for instance. If I go down to Great Escape and you see me coming out of an R-rated movie that you know has a bunch of nudity and sex scenes in it, how's that going to affect you? And I said, well, God said I could do it. But if I love other people, I won't do it. Are you here? That's, that's a different level. Because I realize it will hurt other people's faith. Go a step further. What if you say, well, I don't struggle in that area like other people do, but what if the person that saw you is struggling with pornography and trying to beat that addiction, but your pastor just went and saw an R-rated movie who has sex scenes and nudity in it, and they think that they can go see it now, but you thought you could see it because you can do all things now. First of all, the first part of that's bogus because every guy in the world has an issue with that, and that's not going to help your spiritual life. I don't care how artsy or cool this movie's supposed to be. All right. I've had this conversation with people before, you could tell. <laughs> what if you came in and you saw me sitting at the bar and I was drinking ginger ale? Because my stomach is tender. I was drinking ginger ale and a saltine cracker. People would make assumptions and it would hurt some people's faith. And you're thinking, well, I don't have a problem with that. But yeah, there's other people in our church that have been alcoholic for years and are trying to get over that and they see you doing that. The love of God. Well, I can sit at the bar if I'm not doing anything. What's the love of God say? I could do all things, but not all things are beneficial for me or for other people. And notice, when the love of God's in your heart, you're going to love him and you're going to do what's right in his eyes. But you're also going a step further and thinking, I love other people and not just church family, but unbelievers. So I realize I won't do certain things, even if they're not sin. Because I don't want to hurt other people. Because the love of God is in my heart. Are you hearing me this morning? So the love of God says not just it's good between me and God, but how is it affecting other people? By what shows you watch, what music you listen to, by the way you talk, by the way you live, by the way you dress. And I just use those two examples because those are things a lot of people would see. And, you know, there's pastors all over the world doing stuff like that. So how do you think that makes their congregation feel? Especially if they're struggling with the areas that their pastor is. That's showing no love for other people. So we got to take a step further. Not under a law, but I'm doing this under love. And notice, when your heart's right and God's got your heart, you don't do it and have this attitude, well, I'm missing out. Like I said last week, <laughs> missing out. God's restricting me. God's trying to save you. God's trying to help you. God's trying to give you freedom. Stop being a baby. A lot of people act that way. I can't do this. Know the love of God in your heart. You'll do it. Why? Because you love God. But you're doing this because you love others. And that changes the way you live. That changes what you do. And notice the whole time you're not doing that to be right with God or to be pleasing with God. You're doing it because God's got your heart now. And the love of God's in your heart now. So now you love others and you love God and you're just living in this freedom, not in this place of bondage and restriction that you're pressured to do this. 
Like, I wish I could really go see that movie, but you know what other people will think. Sometimes you got to think about others. The love of God and the love for others will change the way you live. And notice, not change it because you have to, change it because you want to. Because you love God and you love other people. And the, the reality is the love of God is in each and every one of you if you've accepted him into your heart. He's in there. And the love of God is there. Maybe you've kind of disguised the love of God and you've tried to push it down in your life where you don't feel it or you don't sense it, but it's there. And notice, we don't need a law book. We don't need people telling us what's right and wrong. Why? Because the love of God will come up and give us the right direction, give us the right answer, give us the right decisions we should make. Help us stay on the right path that we don't hurt other people and we don't hurt God. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you don't watch that movie. Kind of legalistic, aren't you, around that, that church? Church on the rock, on the rocks. I've heard that joke so many times, like, oh, you're not, you're not funny, dude. You're not funny. Guy's a little bit legalistic around there, right? Can't watch these movies. Maybe I'm just in love. Loosen up a little bit. Paul said, drink a little bit of wine for the stomach is good for you. A little bit legalistic, aren't you? Jesus turned the water into wine. Why are you trying to turn it back? (laughs) A little bit legalistic. I'm in love. I could do it if I wanted to. But what do other people think? You could say that with a lot of things today. And you know what? People will say that, Christians and non-Christians. You guys are a little bit legalistic. You're just in love. Did your church make you do that? No. I want to do that. God tell you to do that? The love of God does. People will say these things. But notice, the love of God will compel you. The love of God will give you new desires. The love of God will constrain you from doing things that you would normally do. And notice, it's not out of this heart of law, but it's out of heart of love. Let's turn to one more passage and we're closing. You guys get something today? Passion or pressure? Romans 5 and Romans 5 and 5 in the New Living. It says, This and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill us with his love. Can I tell you one last story? Are you guys, are you guys tired? Do you want to go? Yes? No? Should we vote? Let's do a church vote. <laughs> okay. I know you're tired of hearing my voice, but... I, I personally think I have a pretty good speaking voice. I used to not. You know, about 10 years ago, I could give you some CDs of some youth rallies. You don't want to listen to that. I had braces, and I had a very high-pitched country voice. I don't know how that worked, but I did. You know what I'm talking about. Let's just thank God that that's not that voice, because it sounded like fingernails just screeching on a chalkboard. That was kind of my tone of voice. So it says that God pours... His love in our hearts. God has poured out his love in our hearts. So it's in there. And sometimes, let's be honest, we need to refill. Some of you know where I'm going with this. 
Many years ago, there was a camp called Jonathan Creek. And we decided to make a promotional video for Jonathan Creek summer camp. Because that's what cool youth pastors and youth groups do. Made a video for Jonathan Creek. Now, Jonathan Creek ended up being the biggest bust summer camp we ever had. It was horrible. They promised us everything, and when we got there, it was pathetic. So we made this video, and actually we made it in this, like, rundown, sorry, parents, we made it in this, like, rundown, super sketchy part of New Albany. It looked like drug deals went down there. It was like, yeah, let's film there. That sounds great. Um, so afterwards, we went to El Nepal on Grantline Road. For some reason that day, out of all days, we were so hungry and so thirsty. We started diving into the salsa. And for, for some reason, I feel like there was no mild salsa. Everything was extra hot. And we were just, just destroying salsa. Just, oh my gosh, just so much. And then we were like, let's all get waters because we're so thirsty. Now, for some reason that day, now El Nepal has improved, so God bless El Nepal today. But that day, they did not bring water. And then we ordered our food because we were so hungry, and they did not bring water. We're just like, hey, yeah, we're, we're thirsty. And we were so thirsty. We were about to pass out, and we were just extra spicy salsa, just Oh my gosh, hungry. And we were about to, we we're like, we got to go to the restroom. We got to drink out of the fountain or something because we are dying of thirst. And eventually it's like we had our meal come out. We ate our food and then they brought us waters. <laughs> and we're all just like, I don't even know what to say here. We were begging them for more water. We were begging them. We couldn't even ask for a refill. We didn't even get it filled one time. Now, the love of God isn't that way. I'll tell you what the love of God is like, Ruth Chris. Now, if you've been to Ruth Chris or Stony River, or let's just say another nice restaurant, they will fill your cup up if it gets that close from the top. I've been there before because I drink a lot when, um, when I go to a restaurant. I've been there before where I literally took two sips out of the Coke. They took the Coke away and gave me a new Coke. I'm like, you're wasting so much Coke. What does it matter with you? Because we're going to be doing this all. I had to tell the server, we're going to be doing this all night. Do you want to keep bringing more Cokes? Because I'm going to pound like 30 Cokes right now at this rate. So at nice restaurants like that, it's like a couple sips. I'm like, all right. They don't even let you get close to empty. Not even close. That's the way the love of God is. It says he's poured the love of God in our hearts. And I tell you what, if you start getting empty, God can pour more love in your hearts. And he's not one of those El Nepal employees who are trying to restrict you from drinking more water. He is a person who's at a fine, nice restaurant when as soon as you get a little bit low, if you just ask God, God will come and pour you some more love in your heart. And that's what God wants to do today, but he wants to do in your life in the future. He wants to pour the love of God in your heart. And you're going to wake up some days and you're going to say, I don't feel like loving God or people today. That's the day you need to say, God, I need a refill. God, I need a refill. And you know what? He'll do it. He'll do it. He'll refill the love of God in your heart. He'll help you to live a life that you can't live by yourself. He'll do it. He don't want you to do it by yourself. Did you guys get anything today? Well, let's close our eyes and bow our heads this morning.